Hey, welcome back to First Generation, a podcast for the first generation Asian kids navigating adulthood. It's been a minute. This summer has literally flown by, and next thing you know, it's now August. Um, but thank you so much for being patient and still tuning in after some time. On this episode, I chat with Shalini Modi. She's Indian American from Chicago who's moved out to San Francisco, and that's where she and I met. And in this episode, we talk about growing up, being in touch with our roots, how our sense of identity has evolved over time. And how oftentimes, as first gens, we are made to feel as if being American and being Asian are mutually exclusive, or that there is a delicate balance that we have to strike between the two. Because if we're more Asian, we're seen as fobby, or if we're more American, then we're whitewashed. We talk about how there is no delicate balance between being Asian and being American. The right balance is whatever feels right to you. And with that, we'll get right to it. I met you September of last year because I moved from New York City to San Francisco. And then I didn't really want to commit to like a one year lease, given how like everyone says San Francisco, it's like block by block, right? So you would see it would be completely fine one block over and then the next block, it's like a complete shit show. So I'm like, oh, let me not sign up for a lease right away. Let me just like take my time live in this like temporary spot with 100 roommates and then figure out next steps. <laughs> um, but that's where I met you. Um, but I was really lucky because I felt like you were super nice. And like we went to a hike together, like I think the f- weekend after I moved in. Yeah, we went out to like yeah. dinner. Yeah. Um, Bob's Dancing. Donuts. Oh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um, I remember when we were taking the the bus to the hiking spot we started talking more and i told you about my podcast obviously you drew the conclusion that like i'm a child of immigrants and then you said you were too you're an immigrant yourself um when did you come here to to the u.s i came here when i was one but i came from south africa Mm, Um, interesting yeah yeah so tell me a little bit about that because i remember when you first mentioned like a little bit about your background almost immediately I felt closer um I don't know because I think there's just a lot you can infer about someone based on their background yeah exactly it's a lot of like even things like early on reading passport documents as like a Mm six-year-old for your parents yeah things like that where I feel like very similar experiences across the board Mm -hmm. I would say for like first generation Asian Americans and so Things like that, like navigating yourself through school, not being able to know how to like apply to colleges, scholarships, Mm -hmm. and just like trying to figure out your way around that and not having your parents as like a guidance point. Right. It's almost like the roles sometimes could be a little reversed. Like, of course, there's still their parental figures in other ways, Um, not to discount, you know, everything that they do do, but there are certain things that I think other folks may have the privilege of not really needing to care about that you know we just naturally have to assume the responsibility for um but yeah tell me a bit about so you're you immigrated from south africa africa my parents are indian so Mm -hmm. both my parents are indian uh my mom just happened to be in south africa for work and just that was her version of like going to sf and trying to live Mm. her life there's a lot of Indians in South Africa, actually, mm-hmm. because um, 
of just like plantation workers and they were actually like a lot of indians were brought to south africa to be like sugarcane workers and like actually slaves too mm-hmm. so that's where the indian descent started from or like the community i would say mm-hmm. it was just easier for my mom to get a visa from india to south africa just because there was a lot of indians already and there was a community built for her already over there and then she stayed in south africa around like seven years and then she went to india got married to my dad came to south africa again they lived there for a couple of years and then i was born and then immediately after we moved to america chicago specifically Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. and so you grew up basically in chicago after that yeah yeah my whole life Mm -hmm. and so when did you decide to move i guess you're now in your mid-20s 24 almost turning 25 in like two months so when did you move to SF from Chicago and what was like, what was the reason for the move? I actually had to move to SF because I was already working for a company during the pandemic when everyone had to come back to the office. Like mm. it was my time to come back to the office and it was less of a risk for me because I already loved the job. I already had my group of like coworkers that I leaned on, um, the community that I built there. All I needed to do was move to a different city for this job versus like starting everything all over again. But yeah, I moved to SF for the job and yeah. From the very beginning when I met you, you basically planted the seed that you're going to move back to Chicago. And obviously it's been eight months now and you still haven't moved back. But um, and over time, I knew more about like your family and why what the impetus was for wanting to move back but yeah can you like paint a picture on of like why you feel this need to move back to Chicago um, despite the fact that it seems like you're really enjoying yourself here in SF so that's where the whole co-living thing started from as well where I just felt like I couldn't commit to even like a year in SF because I was already living here for a year Mm -hmm. so I couldn't commit to another year because it almost felt as if I was almost betraying my mom because i do come from uh my mom's a single mom i'm an only child so there's a lot of like responsibility that i have making sure i'm taking care of my mom and my mom's also getting old and so just the the commitment over there where i feel like i'm not at peace Hmm. i'm like in a constant state where even if i'm enjoying like another home or another place in sf or like enjoying my life i feel like there's a part of me that like feels as if I still need to go back to Chicago to be with my mom and take care of her. Mm-hmm. And I need to find my way back. Why do you think that is? It comes from being, I would say, being the immigrant child. When your parents come to America, like which is pretty similar for a lot of Asian American kids, they come with a lot of sacrifices. They leave their whole family. They... They're holding um, like minimum wage jobs just to put you through school. Mm-hmm. They're navigating through a lot too. And so growing up, you see that struggle. You see them like, you see a real side to them. You see them like crying. You see them going at a grocery store and like deciding if you want to like even get him a piece of chocolate or like buy you a piece of chocolate versus like buying detergent. You know, mm-hmm. like you see them very firsthand the struggles of like not being able to get luxury items. And so just growing up with that, you have a sense of, I need to take care of my parents. I need to get a well-paying job. And a silver lining to that is like, even in your hardest days, you keep that in mind and it keeps you going. Like, mm-hmm. I have this job. I'm very thankful for this job. And it's because my parents went through so much for me. 
mm-hmm. you have a like i feel like you have a higher threshold for mm. almost pain too <laughs> <laughs> which i don't think is necessarily a good thing yeah um because the way I've, I've been reading this book called permission to come home um and it's actually about like mental health struggles of or like you know everyone has mental health struggles definitely isn't you know limited to asian americans or you know kids of immigrants but there's certain things that are more heightened that the book talks about so one for example is an over indexing on the idea of stability so it's like you start always making decisions based on what's the most stable option um it's risk aversion right because it's this fear that if you don't have enough um that that's the worst case scenario and it probably stems from you're right like growing up and realizing like your parents or your family are making very um calculated decisions off of something that should be so minuscule like whether or not i should buy this thing for my kid um and like i think that like not to be overly dramatic right because in the moment you don't really think anything of it but it leaves an imprint on you i think it does because i feel like that still carries over today like even when i'm getting going to a coffee shop i feel like <laughs> You're always looking at the price yeah i'm looking well, at in the SF, pro- it's crazy because it's like they're charging seven dollars for a coffee i'm like jesus i can't keep up with this it's definitely expensive yeah. but Rather than just being like, okay, I make enough money, like, it's just a coffee making me happy, right? Mm. I take that as more than that, where it's like, this coffee is $7. Like, I should be spending $7 and saving $7 and, like, mm. like saving towards my house. Like, as bad as this sounds, like, one little thing, you, you go on a spiral of how, mm. like, you're not considerate with your money. And this all stems from, like, watching your parent choose over detergent versus chocolate. Mm. So even something very small becomes becomes feels bigger, becomes yeah. bigger, feels bigger and changes your actions. Like exactly what you said, we're like going away and step taking a step back from the mindset of scarcity mm. is like almost like a whole therapy session with yourself on its own where yeah. you have to realize, hey, it's OK to buy this coffee. Buy this coffee. Yeah. It's OK to go on a walk. And I think the coffee is just. A metaphor right yeah a lot of it is like i don't know if you feel this way but sometimes so i just booked my um trip to asia again <laughs> <laughs> but i'm gonna go to taiwan and um japan this time and almost immediately after i booked the tickets i'm like happy obviously i'm it's a little painful like the money that you're dishing out but then there's this added element of like ah oh, shit like i didn't book anything for my parents like my my mom isn't going on vacation i feel two emotions part of me you know obviously that comes out naturally is the guilt of like oh i have all this expendable income now that i can use on these trips and my mom is still working and i'm not like actively proactively treating her to vacation this other part of me though is like why is my brain going there because it's not like we haven't gone on vacation together almost immediately after i graduated i treated her to a trip to london i paid for it um i also paid for a family trip of five people you know like my siblings siblings included to vancouver so it's not like i haven't done that and honestly looking back like those trips were booked immediately after i booked another uh, like you know trips to with my friends because almost the knee-jerk reaction 
to that was, oh, I feel guilty that I haven't spent money on my mom in a way that I know she would always like her number one is always going to be me and my siblings. But my number one, it feels like is myself. Um, so yeah, I don't know. The, the coffee is a metaphor, but I think it applies to like, whenever you do something that's good for you, um, that requires money. It almost immediately for me triggers a, a feeling of guilt that I'm not spending it instead on her. That's how I feel about living in a stuff in general, Mm. where I feel so guilty living away from my mom when she's like struggling over there that I almost try to buy it with money as well where Mm. like I I'm like mom it's okay I'll pay this credit card bill or I'll Mm -hmm. do this as a result of like making peace or like making amends with myself and not feeling guilty like hey okay at least I'm contributing financially Mm -hmm. even though I can't be there and that's how I I think that's how I'm like okay with the situation right now where Right now, I'm trying to convince myself, even though I love living in SF, at the moment, I have my life going here. I've met new friends. Like, it's very, it's been very peaceful for me overall, just mentally. I am saying that, hey, like, I can't move back to Chicago because, like, everyone's getting laid off and I need that stability. (laughs) I need that, yeah, like, that's how I'm convincing myself, where I need that stability and my mom needs the money too. So I can't move to Chicago right now. When in my head, deep down, I know if I wanted to, I could. Yeah. But I think I just don't want to right now. Mm-hmm. And it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I Like, I, I totally feel you on the, I just don't want to. Like, people, I mean, my mom is, you know, she's had enough of my antics. Like, the, I think the fact that I moved to Hong Kong during the pandemic, she's already like, ah, it's fine. This is, like, part of what she does. So when I told her I was moving to SF, it wasn't like a whole thing. Um, So I now feel like I could just move because I want to, you know, and I know it's a privilege to say that. But do you feel like you could admit that to yourself and to your mom? Like I'm in SF not because I need to out of stability or for us, but just because that's the life I want for myself. Honestly, I don't think I can ever do that. Like... Mm. Because the hope, the unsaid hope between us, it's what's, like, keeping us happy. Where I honestly moved to SF initially telling her that, hey, I'm only going to be here for a couple of months. I'm only going to be here for four months. Wow. I'm only going to be here for another year. I'm only going to be here for another year. Hence why the short-term leases. Yeah, Yeah. hence why the short-term leases where it's not, like, okay, it works with the narrative. Like, hey, yeah, just for a couple of months more couple months more and i think she's on to that hope as well where yeah she's gonna come back home Mm -hmm. if i break it to her and tell her i'm not coming back home it's gonna devastate her Mm. she's like and knowing my mom i think she longs for that family she because i'm her only family here Mm. and just knowing the fact that she has no one like even when she's sick to take care of her is gonna be very emotional for her and i can't do that to her Mm. yeah so unfortunately i don't think i can ever admit that i also had a very healthy childhood like Mm. my mom did give me i don't feel restricted my mom gave me all the freedom to just like do whatever i wanted to do Mm -hmm. like 
whether I wanted to go out with friends, whether I wanted to go to vacation. She was never restricting. So I didn't grow up in the need to rebel or like, I was, if anything, I was very thankful. Same thing with SF. She's the one that told me, hey, like, if you need to do this for yourself, go for it. Like, you need to do this to grow. Yeah. And so she was very supportive of it. And the fact that she's very supportive of it. Makes you feel worse. It makes me feel worse and more guilty. One thing I've always been really interested in and was wondering if you're you know, willing to share on this podcast is Dillmill, the company that you work for. So Dillmill is a relationship app for South Asians. And I thought it was really interesting because on your website, um, you said that your users are generally looking for committed relationships with someone who understands their background um, and who can have a shared culture with them. So how does it feel like to work on an app that's so close to your community? And how has that influenced your sense of identity? Um, Maybe you can start with like growing up, like what was your sense of identity and how has that transformed over time especially since working at dill mill or has it yeah of course so i didn't grow even in chicago i didn't grow up having kind of like a identity crisis with like my american side and my indian side because i already grew up in a very um it's called little india actually Mm -hmm. so little india where walk down the street and you see all these indian restaurants indian like clothing stores so i was already exposed to like being indian even in america that i lived in a very interesting um apartment actually where Mm. everyone in the apartment we had 16 units Mm -hmm. everyone was indian Mm. so it almost felt like i was in india while being in america Mm. where like i would go to school and like i would have my like um i would have friends that weren't necessarily indian very Mm. diverse group of friends come home would be like in an indian building yeah It was so Indian to the point where, like, every, like, during holidays, there were different religions. So, like, Mm -hmm. Ramadan, like, Diwali. um, And even during those different religions, we would be there for each other. Like, Mm -hmm. during Ramadan, like, when they cook something special, they would come to our house and bring something there. During Diwali, we'd all light candles outside our doors Mm -hmm. because that's part of the tradition. We'd light candles outside our doors. And on Diwali, literally everyone's doors would be, like, open like open they would have candles outside of it like it'd be very that's how you celebrate it yeah and so we we wouldn't close our doors it was like just like one big community one big community one big family actually where Mm -hmm. everyone knew each other my mom also felt i think my mom also felt safe there where Mm -hmm. and she still continues to feel safe there she lives there now we still live there Mm -hmm. um that's my chicago home Mm mm-hmm I've lived in the same apartment my whole life. And she feels, I think that's also that helps me knowing that she's in her comfort zone where she has a group of people that are taking care of her. She has her family here, like yeah, her unsaid family. And so that helped me, like helped shape my identity as well, where I actually didn't have an identity crisis where I didn't feel like, oh, like, am I too Indian? Am I too American? I felt Mm -hmm. like I was, from the start, I was able to balance that very well. Mm -hmm. Where, okay, this is what I come home to. This is what Mm -hmm. I go to school. Yeah. And so, was there ever this sense, just curious, of like, mm, because I I think the the word or the phrase identity crisis is kind of dramatic, right? It's like this idea of like, there's this one pivotal moment where it's a crisis. 
how I've personally felt it and how like when I, you know, chat with other friends, it kind of it's more just like it comes through in a way that's a lot more subtle. Like, oh, I don't want to actively bring up this part of my culture or like I don't want to I'm not going to talk about Chinese New Year in depth with like my white friends or something like that. Right. Like when I was younger. So did you ever have like moments of that? See, that's I didn't actually Mm. because of the community community. I grew up in where I grew up very proud of my identity. Right. Where if I wanted to wear it, I mean, I guess. No, I take that back. I guess when I was little, a little. Yeah. um, When I was little. Yeah. um, My mom would tell me to wear Indian dress for picture day at school. And I'd be like, like, no, no. (laughs) I was like, I'm not doing that. Okay, so maybe I was a little more fair. Yeah. (laughs) A little more shamed when I was little mm. but growing up and i still went into this day actually <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna roll into school wearing that but my I mom wanted me to wear a sari to a prom and mm. i was like mom i can't <laughs> that's not happening yeah we're going to like like carson's or macy's and we're getting a prom yeah. dress but like that's more like personal preference and yeah like you could argue like maybe a tinge of that is like no <laughs> like i don't really want to show that part that evidently but it sounds like to for the most part it was a very like your your indian identity was a very solid part of the self that you bring out into the world exactly and that helped that helped with dilmal mm. because explain what dilmal is so dilmal is a south asian dating app mm-hmm. and it's actually pretty like well known so yeah. it's well known Every time I tell some other South Asian about Dilmal, mm-hmm. they know exactly what it is. And so because of that, um, it's very recognized in the community as well. Like mm-hmm. even like artists, someone that like emerging, um, yeah, singers, whatever it is, everyone knows of Dilmal. And I feel like if anything, I think I, like, I almost manifested it. Like I was so mm-hmm. in tune with my like indian and american side where i'm like okay i need this too like i want this like yeah. i want to like a work culture place where i don't have to be ashamed of who i am mm. where i could continue to be an indian and american in a healthy level mm. and so that's something that like somehow i just manifested it through work and so now i work at a place that does that too where mm. There's days where in the office we'll like all eat like Indian food that yeah. one of my coworkers' moms like made. One of oh. my coworkers' mom made, mm-hmm. and he just brings it to work, and we're just out here like all eating Indian food for lunch. Yeah, oh, that's and that's so like awesome. very wholesome to me. Where yeah. we're all like we grew up, we all go watch basketball, we all go to the clubs. Mm. It's very like so we're all sort of Americanized as well, but we're still in tune with our Indian culture. Yeah, we s- celebrate holidays together. And I feel like that's a, my identity at work is really how I grew up as well. Yeah. That's amazing. Because yeah. I, I think it took a long time for me to truly feel like I know of it logically. The idea that like I could be both American and Chinese at the same time. And me being super Chinese doesn't take away well, first of all, it's not a negative thing, but I think in American society, you're sort of conditioned sometimes to think it's a negative thing. Um, or at least if people think you're like too Chinese. I mean, come on. In America, that's usually a bad thing, right? Um, but yeah, it took me a long time to really fully recognize that like being 
Chinese and being American can happen at the same time. And I don't have to feel like I have to, you know, like water down parts of myself to be accepted. I mean, the caveat is there's actually places where I've felt that way. Um, And so it just becomes like a means of survival and fitting in, right? Where you're like, ah, I'm not going to bring this up. So it's like really awesome to hear that for you, your experiences have always been that you could feel so integrated from day one. Like it took me a while to get here is what I'm saying. Um, Like working in Hong Kong for me, I think in retrospect was subcon like I didn't know this at the time but I think subconsciously I wanted to work in a place where I don't have to try to fit in you know like obviously I was American and like a lot of folks working there were from Hong Kong but it felt like there was just a sense inherently of like oh yeah you belong um so I imagined like when you told me about Domo I'm like oh that's so awesome that like there's a place like that for you in the U.S., like, you don't have to go to India for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think it comes from confidence for boundaries where I, like, if someone is being ignorant in my, like, when I feel like they're being ignorant, I can just totally be like, hey, this is Indian food, this is not, like, this is what we eat. Mm. Like, it comes with, a, like, a level of confidence where I'm, I don't feel ashamed in explaining. Mm. I don't feel ashamed in my answer. Mm-hmm. And because of that, like, it almost reflects it where... Because I treat it so casually, they treat it so casually. Mm. And so it comes with confidence where I didn't, even when I was little, Ashley, like back in the days where um, you didn't grow up, like no one knew about each other's cultures because we didn't mm. have like, you grew up with only PBS kids and like Disney. <laughs> and hey, so- don't shit on PBS kids, okay? <laughs> no, but those <laughs> are like, Arthur. that's what we did. Like PBS kids, Nickelodeon and Disney. Mm-hmm. That's the only type of information you would get, right? Yeah. Like. Because for kids at school, like, sure, I actually did grow up in a very um, diverse school. Mm. But even then, like, say even, um, like, the the white kids, the black kids, they just didn't know, like, what being Indian was, right? Like, there was no education of this. Mm. All they saw was, like, food that smells different than their own food. Mm. And they would go about it and be like, oh, this smells weird. This smells... So, Mm. it was, I think it was, like, like, ignorance almost, Mm -hmm. where they just didn't know versus now there's like as much as kind of annoying seeing all these like tiktok trends where it's like oh try indian food try Mm -hmm. this or like try chinese food as annoying as it is i'm actually happy that we're progressing towards it because like kids nowadays grow up knowing more things exposure exposure exactly where it's not they're not just getting their information from nickelodeon disney and right they're always going to opt for like well how many people will actually understand this and you know um feel a sense of closeness to this yeah and if that's your barometer then you know showing indian food i don't know on t on a tv show when we're younger wasn't really like top of mind for anyone (laughs) you know um but yeah I, i totally agree i've been like um i don't have tiktok but i have like obviously instagram and like what i love seeing is I don't know, did you watch, like, Indian shows growing up? I did, like, Mm -hmm. so that was also a very different thing where, um, as soon as I come home, like, my mom would have Indian channels going on, because we, like, there's a thing, Indian, like, a suite of Indian channels. Yeah. What's your main Indian channel? There's, like, ZTV, Star Plus, Mm -hmm. and... Oh, I've heard of Star Plus. Yeah, Star Plus, ZTV, Sony TV, and, like, 
these three main t- uh, channels, I would say, they a bunch of soap operas, mm-hmm. uh, like soap shows, um, dancing shows, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. So growing up, I didn't actually hear all these like 2000 songs or like 1990 <gasps> songs. Like I actually didn't know any of these songs until I was like probably like 15, 16. Oh my God, me too. Yeah. Where <laughs> yeah. I would be like, what movie? I have no clue. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Sometimes I'm like, this is why I hate trivia nights, right? Because like trivia night, they're going to like bring up some weird, like obscure movie from the 80s or 90s. I would have no clue about because I'm like, what do you like? I wouldn't watch that when I was a kid, you know? And but yeah, no, I agree. Like 15, 16 was when things started changing because then you had stuff like spotify pandora like netflix right then you can it was easier to like get exposure i guess to other things outside of like whatever your mom showed on tv (laughs) when you were a kid yeah or also just talking to like meeting new people Mm -hmm. talking to your friends yeah but yeah yeah, like so you learn about things later Mm -hmm. down the road Mm -hmm. Um, older yeah but i'm also not like again comes with the confidence i'm okay with saying like hey i actually grew up with indian shows like I did not grow up watching this because my parents did not grow up listening to the 80s songs and yeah. stuff. They listened did, to Bollywood songs. You were songs. always that confident? No, I think the confidence happened after, like, probably high school, I would say. Mm. Middle school was rough because, like, like I didn't have the like the guts to say, no, no, Andrew, you're wrong. Stop making fun of my Indian food. Mm. Like, I like to some level, I did grow up with that where they would make making fun of my Indian food. They would... I would take um, sandwiches to lunch all the time because I didn't want them to think I was different. Mm. But it wasn't that different because it was still like it was still diverse. Yeah. And I felt like even if people were like kids were mean to me at school, I had my community come back home too. Mm. So which helped with my confidence Mm. where it wasn't like, oh, my God, people are mean to me at school. Like, is something wrong with me? I still had a sense of belonging. Mm. Yeah. I think that's that's where the confidence came from over time. Right. It's interesting hearing what you're saying because the Hong Kong version of like the channel you're talking about is like T- TVB, something called TVB. And I used to watch it all the time. Um, but like the older I get, like on Instagram now, there's like a ton of videos from like other like Chinese Americans. They're talking about how like they grew up shows they used to watch on TVB when they were kids. Um, like, you know, just a general like really corny soap opera lines. Um, <laughs> yeah. But it's like showing that like, oh, we there is like a whole group of us that grew up watching these things, um, watching our like or like our parent, whatever our parents watch. And but back then, no one really talked about it. Right. And you didn't really have this community across the world where you knew people were doing that. And now you're realizing like, oh, we all kind of grew up in the same way, you know, and so that feels really cool. Yeah. yeah, I think something that's very different about this actually is um, the kids that didn't have a similar experience, I would say, being Indian American, just being in tune with their culture, they grew up needing to change themselves. So despite mm. them having like a similar background to me, where like, okay, they came home to watching soap operas, Indian soap operas with their family, they almost hide that part of them and like to like... Um, or they reject it. They reject it. They like... They almost like say no i'm too american for this Mm. like and because they've done that to themselves they do that to like other indian kids Mm. that are in tune with their culture Mm -hmm. so i feel like i've had to fight that as well too where just coming across like 
Indian American kids that have rejected that part of their life and like putting and, me down by saying I'm too fobby or I'm too like mm. and putting me down by saying like oh you need to level up to your American side I have to be like no like this is part of me I love Bollywood and I'm not mm-hmm. ashamed of it just because you're ashamed of loving Bollywood like that's a you problem that's not a me problem yeah <laughs> and so just having like the confidence to even reject that yeah where um I love Bollywood and like I I'm not too Indian I'm not too American I'm me yeah. like I like eating like like Indian food like doll like after I come home from a night mm-hmm. out too yeah and that doesn't make me fobby that doesn't make me that I grew up with both identities yeah and so that but also I think like Domo helps with that as well like hey yeah I work at Domo you could be Indian and American at the same time and so because it's a South Asian, Asian American dating, dating app. app yeah so I see like a lot of like South Asian and Indian Americans yeah. off of that too so overall like yeah Domo has helped with that part of the identity too of like helping me reject people part of my that have been putting me down for my own community oh my god I love this and I I I love the fact that you bring up there's people within your own community who would reject it's a little self-hating right it's like this say like they believe that in order to be accepted and to be well liked that they have to be seen as strictly american and not too fobby or like too whatever indian chinese whatever it may be yeah like what's the line you know but yeah but there is no line because it's you it's you yeah you have different levels of chinese and american and someone and else does you don't have to have the same levels yeah be confident enough to accept that mm. yeah i love that so with that um what do you think you're going to do next are you going to move back home to chicago or do you think you're going to st- try to find like a lease elsewhere or are you still like not sure honestly i have no clue like again part of me is is scared to commit to another lease because it goes back to the whole like i don't want my mom to think like oh wow she's gonna be away for another year Mm. like i don't want that definite answer so yeah like i'm scared to commit to another lease or like don't want to because of that reason I don't know if I'm going to, like, stay in San Francisco with Domo or get a new job, like, to move back to Chicago. Because yeah. I do want, like, to start and buy a house in Chicago and, like, be more stable over there as well. But I'm okay with taking it day by day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can make one choice today. And if it doesn't work or if it doesn't feel right after some time, like, you can always pivot. And that's a realization that you get when the older you get. It's like, oh nothing is really permanent i could always just change it if i if i want to so yeah well with that um thank you for joining shalini and i have no doubt that you're gonna make the right decision for yourself um and thank you all for listening i'll catch you in the next one bye Bye.